uh, not only this summer, but, but on and on and on. So tremendous ministry. And thank you for everybody who was a part of it by helping financially for them to go and to, to do that project. So tremendous, tremendous. The uh, scripture I want us to look at this morning is Acts chapter 11. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite passages. When you think about the New Testament church, really we've got to ask which New Testament church are you talking about? Because there's, there's more than one. There are actually even a couple of, of eras or epochs in the, just, just in the short book of Acts at least. There are two in the first half of the book of Acts. Because in the first part of Acts, the focus is on Jerusalem. It's a Jerusalem church. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine years ago when we were, we were talking about the difference in the churches. And he and I made the comment the Jerusalem church was, they were, they were great people, wonderful people uh, who loved the Lord, but they were really more like a fellowship. They were focused on themselves. And then in Acts chapter 11 and, and following, particularly chapters 11 and 13, the focus is on Antioch. And Jeff and I, in talking, made the comment, well, if the Jerusalem church was a, a fellowship, then the Antioch church was a mission-sending body of believers. And so it's a big, big difference. And in Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 19, I'll read a few verses there. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus, or for Tarsus, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's bow together now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, dear God, for your word, for your direction, your encouragement, and, and your reprimand that comes through scriptures. God, we pray with all of our hearts that we'll be like the people we just read about. There will be folks who you bless by adding to the number and, and God, that we'll find favor, as the early church did, with people all around. And God, we surrender to you because we understand that'll never happen outside of your intervention. It won't happen just because of us. It's you. So God, we surrender. And we ask you to take control. And we offer this prayer to you in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my friends, and I've shared this often, I, I even mentioned it to y'all once one of the first Sundays I was here, but Eddie Hammett had a professor in seminary years, 40 years ago, and he would ask this question to his classes 40 years ago now, two generations, and he would ask them, can a church like ours reach a world like ours? 
when you think about our world today, we were talking, Thomas was commenting before church that the, the, the technology, they were having some kind of technological issue. And those things just, they happen all the time. We live in a technological world. Uh, you hear, the, the other day I saw a commercial on television about Experian and, and data stuff and data security. And well, it was just a few months ago, Experian had a breach and, and millions of people's data was, was gleaned from them. And then now they're teaching about internet security. But that's the world we live in, that the internet and technology, and, and it's different than it was even 10 years ago. It wasn't but 20 years ago, roughly. I got my first computer, and it, oh my goodness, it was expensive, you know, compared to what they cost now. And my phone has got 20 times the memory on my phone that that computer had. So things have changed. We live in a different world than we lived in even a few years ago. So can our church, can the church of Jesus Christ that's 2,000 years old reach a world like ours? The short answer is yes, if we're the church of the living Lord. But the answer is also no if it's going to be our church. And what happened in Acts chapter 11, to me, the reason I, I always come back to this chapter in my, my studies and in my, my thinking about what God would have us do, and at the beginning of chapter 11, in verse, verse 1, now right before that, Peter has, has been with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit has come down and blessed the Gentile people and the, the folks in Jerusalem heard about it. And here's what happens at the beginning of chapter 11. The apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, argued with him, confronted him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? So now see, that's where the Jerusalem church starts in this chapter. The Holy Spirit has come down on the Gentiles and the Jerusalem church, the, the believers. Now, these are believers. These are not, these are not the Pharisees. These are, not these are Christian people who at the beginning of, of Acts chapter 11 are asking Peter, you mean you ate with those folks? And they asked the question because they had heard the Holy Spirit had come on the Gentiles. And, and their question really was, how can this be? How can God do that? We thought that he was just for us. I mean, that's what they thought. you got to be one of us before you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. you got to be one of us before God's going to bless you. And it, it really rocked their world that God sent the Holy Spirit down on people who weren't like them, who, who weren't following all of their religious laws, all of the Old Testament laws, and, th and they couldn't quite grasp it. Now, throughout the next verses, as Peter tells the story and they understand what happened, th their attitude changes. Now, they're, they're glad, they're happy, so they didn't stay, uh, they didn't try to take the Holy Spirit back or, or something you know, ridiculous like that, but they had to be convinced. And so then we pick up in, in this part in Antioch, in verse 19, those who were scattered after the persecution over Stephen, that's his, his stoning, 
went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. So now see, that's the mindset. You've got to be one of us. So even as they left when Stephen was killed and they saw him die right there and they went all over their part of the world, they were focusing on sharing with, other, with Jews, with people who had gone through the, the, the religious laws, the circumcised folks, Jewish folks, the, the, the purebred people. And that's who they're going to share with. And they were having some success. There have been thousands at Pentecost and right afterwards, but now they're scattered out. They're all over the world, and they're still targeting people who were like them. But then something happened. Some who were from Cyprus and Serene, when they had come to Antioch, so they came to the same city of Antioch where there were already people preaching to Jews. They spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So the, the fuller answer to the question I started with, can a church like ours, and I'm not talking just about Conway Baptist Church, but the, the church body, that we're a bigger body we're a part of, when over half of churches in America today are declining or plateaued, and it depends on who you listen to and what the, the survey is, but you'll hear a low number is 65%, a high number is as much as 90 or 95% that are plateaued or declining, depending on the surveys and how they ask the questions. Now, I'm not saying any of them are inaccurate. They're asking and looking for different things. But over half of churches in America are plateaued or declining, so the question is very real. Can a church like ours reach a world like ours? Well, Jesus Christ, as he commissioned his first disciples, said the gates of hell won't prevail against you. So now he didn't give them a temporary, hey, you're, the church is going to be good for a while and then the, the church air is going to be over, the church is going to fade away. No, that, that's not what Jesus said. But even in, in Antioch, this is just a few years after Easter, after the resurrection, the Jerusalem folks are focused on, on people like them and, and how they want things and how they believe it's supposed to be. And then some outsiders come in from Cyprus and Serene, and, and they don't know any better than to just tell everybody about Jesus. The church today that will reach our world will be a church that's primary activity will be evangelistic. And you might be thinking, all right, hang on, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't even like to speak. Uh, we had a lady, at, we had a volunteer supper Friday night at the missions conference, and a lady stood up, well, Ann Layton, Ann and Billy run the, the Lumberton Disaster Relief Site, and Ann and Billy stood up, and Ann talked first, and, and Ann said, anybody who knows me knows I don't like to do stuff like this. And then she shared you know, a few sentences, basically, and she she stepped aside, and, and Billy, uh, you know, talked some. Billy doesn't mind at all, you know, talking in front of people. And you might be saying, now, well, I'm like Ann. You know, uh -uh, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I don't like to, I certainly don't want to speak in front of crowds, but I don't even like to, to be confronted when I talk to somebody who's my friend. Sharing Christ doesn't have to be like that. But we do have to do it. We do it in our deeds. We do it by what we do. We show him, but we also share verbally. We also tell the story. 
Tell what Jesus Christ did to everybody. Not trying to figure out who should we tell. Uh, one man came up to me yesterday, and he was so excited, and, and I, was, I was so tired, and I wanted to go to bed. It was late. And it's a friend of mine, and he came up. He said, I just got to tell you, if you got a minute, and I thought, I got a minute, but I don't want to give you a minute. It, you know, it's what I was thinking. Because it wasn't that late. I was just tired. And then he started telling me a story. There was a, there was a little guy, and they had taken the Appalachian Christmas backpacks. That, you know, y'all did a, a bunch of them at Christmas. They'd taken them to somewhere. He told me the town. I don't remember. It's in Tennessee. And he met this little... <laughs> excuse me, this little fella, and he was hanging around with him and spent some time. Toward the end of the day, he asked the little guy, he said, has has there ever been a time in your life when you asked Jesus Christ to be Lord? And the little guy started crying, and he said, no, sir, it sure hasn't. And so then, uh, you know, my friend said, well, can I share with you, and would you like to do that today? And the guy said, little fella said, I thought you'd never ask. And so my friend was saying, here I am, 60-something-year-old guy, and he said, here I am, who's done this kind of thing over and over and over again, and I had a fellow in my presence who spent the day with me wondering, really, are you ever going to tell me why you brought these backpacks, really? And he said, so I shared with him, so by then, you know, he's, He's, you know, weeping, emotional, talking to me. And, and then I'm thinking, yeah, I got all the time you need to talk to me tonight if you want to tell me that kind of story. You know, we share when we have opportunities and we have eyes that are open to see when we have them. Just like Connie was saying when the youth students were down at, at White Lake and the other group came in and they got to spend time together. That's invaluable when you realize you're in two different places, but you've got brothers and sisters who are on the same page. It matters. It really does matter. And you may not stay in contact as much, but again, in our world today, with Facebook and the different internets, and and I don't do Facebook much, but texting, oh my goodness, you can, just that quickly, you can send a message, and and you don't even have to stop what you're doing. Now, if you're driving, you're supposed to stop, but... We can do things today that we couldn't do before. You know, I used to send letters to people I met at camp, and I didn't know for a week or two if they even got it or not. And that was when they wrote back. So it could be a long gap. Now you can send a text message, and if they've got an iPhone and you do too, you know when they're answering you before they even hit send. So can a church like ours reach a world like ours? Oh, my goodness, we've got more resources than anybody's ever had. And the early church, their primary activity was evangelism. But in the next verses, they were an encouragement to everybody. When, he, when, when Barnabas came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, that's the second time it said that a great many people were added. It says earlier, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. So God's blessing, and God's just pouring out people on them, and folks are responding, and it's an encouragement. In the church today, sometimes we can be competitive with each other. 
and wondering you know, what's happening down the road or across the county or, or across the state or, or other part of the country. But here, the Jerusalem believers, and, and primarily Barnabas, has heard and then he saw what was going on at Antioch and he was encouraged and he told them, keep up the good works. Keep on with the Lord. You're doing great. You get tired sometimes. All of us get tired. You're doing the things that God will have you do, and you're physically you get worn down, or emotionally you get worn down, or even spiritually you get worn down, because Satan's real. Satan attacks. And he'll attack in any of those ways and about a thousand more. He's on the attack. And what Barnabas is telling these folks is, keep going, keep on with the Lord. You're doing good. Like we were talking this morning, you know, the several of us, you know, the attaboys or the whoas or, or, or those, those ways that, that we or, or the military service will encourage each other. Well, Barnabas is doing that here. Barnabas is saying, keep it on. Keep going. You're doing great. Because, you know, when a church hears that something incredible is going on at Conway Baptist Church, if they're spirit-filled people who were really interested in the Lord's work, they're not so much going to be jealous as they're going to say, all right, now I want some of that. I want that happening at my church. And it can be you know, just up the road a mile or two or three or ten, or it can be a, a hundred or a thousand miles away when they hear what God's doing. I heard about a church a week or two ago where a friend of mine, a bivocational pastor, first time he's ever pastored a church, and they had... 20, when, when they were telling me the story, they said they, said they had you know, 25 or so on church when, when this buck got there. And I said, no, they didn't. Because you know, I, I went to that church, and they didn't have 25 on it. They're being generous, saying they had 25. And they're telling this story. And I said, well, all right, now hang on. If you're talking about how much better it is, Give me something tangible. What are you talking about now? Just don't say, hey, it's good, because that can be subjective. What is it? And they said, oh, now you're talking 35, 40 people on average Sunday. And so I started laughing. I said, well, they didn't have 25 when you're, you're talking about it you know, before then. So even if they don't have 40 now and everything's shifted by a few people, that's incredible because that's almost doubling you know, for a church. And that's encouraging that God's at work and it doesn't happen just in big churches. Matter of fact, I'm convinced that the place God's working the most and the most obviously is in our smaller and mid-sized churches where people know each other, they've got ongoing relationships, and they're understanding what God's doing in each other's lives because it's an even bigger encouragement when you know what God's doing. You know, people will laugh about small towns and say, well, everybody knows everybody's business. For good or for bad, that's true. Which means if God's at work, everybody knows. And they understand because they know the difficulty you went through. And when they see God lift you up, they know. Well, that's what happened here. Barnabas tells them, keep on going. But then he does something that to me is incredible. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year 
They assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is several years after Paul's conversion. Paul's been out in the desert, and he's been learning and growing. And Barnabas goes to a, a new group of believers that God's blessing them and sending people on top of people. And Barnabas goes to get his friend Saul, and he says, basically, he says to him, Come back and disciple these people. They, Paul spent a year there. He's pouring into them. And Antioch, in, in chapter 13, if you would flip over to chapter 13, which we won't in Acts, but Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas and then Silas and different ones, they were sent out as mission teams from Antioch. Antioch became the, the spiritual epicenter of the evangelism and the disciple-making and the missions movement in the first century. And it all began in Acts chapter 11 when some people from Cyprus and Serene just didn't know any differently than to tell everybody about Jesus. And then Barnabas went to get Paul and brought him back, and he spent a year there. And that group of people grew and grew and grew, and as God blessed, in Acts chapter 13, now they're saying, all right, the whole world needs to know. And they start intensely sending people out from their, their body to tell. Well, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the, I, I had an interesting week this week. I asked her, Nahapetian, who's the general secretary for Armenian Baptist, he was here, and so he was with me this week, and we rode uh, a lot of places. And we were talking, and we spent a lot more time, he and I, riding than we did with other people. So we're talking about different things. Over and over and over again, he kept bringing up to me in different contexts. He said, Paul, there are a lot of people who are good teachers. There are a lot of people who are good preachers. And every preacher wants to be better at both of those things. But he said to me again many times last week, he said, strive to be a better spiritual father. And, he, and then he, he pointed me back to this scripture. Well, he didn't say the scripture, but he talked about Paul. This is what Paul says. I do not, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you. He's been reprimanding them. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have forgotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, those are incredible verses. Paul's telling them, you've, you've got 10,000 teachers and preachers, but he says, I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one who birthed you in Christ. And that's what Asseter spent the whole week telling me. We were talking about a lot of different things, and he kept on coming back to this, and he said, be a spiritual father to, to others. Because I, I have been challenging him in Armenia. I said, you, you know, you've got a seminary. Not but so many people can go eight or ten hours from the eastern part of the country to the seminary for a week of classes. They, 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 it's not logistically possible or financially. What are you going to do? And I kept pushing him about that. 
And, he, and then he started to this, I'm trying to be a spiritual father. And he said, then the time's going to come when I'm going to pass it off, and just like Paul did to Timothy, and then somebody else is going to be the, the spiritual leader. Now, in Antioch, when God added to their number day by day and added many, many to their number, Barnabas went to get Paul, and he brought him to them. And what Paul did is pour into them so that in Acts chapter 13, when God sent Paul out and Paul left Antioch, Antioch remained the center of the Christian mission movement because that church wasn't Paul's church. It was the church of the living Christ. And their DNA, they're the way they were made, was such that Paul could go all around the world on a missionary journey, and Antioch didn't change. So can a church like ours reach a world like ours? We can if we're a church like Antioch was. We're, we're allowing God to pour into us, and we're growing, and, and God's teaching us, and we're going out everywhere we go, and God's blessing, and God's adding to us. He's adding new believers. He's adding some that, that may have been believers for a long time, but they hear what God's doing, and they want to be a part of it. And it can happen many, many ways. The one church I pastored, my wife was minister of music. They did an, an Easter musical, and they did great that particular day. They did great a lot of days, but that particular day or night, it was the nighttime. And there was a guy who was sitting on the back or standing on the back wall. With he just went to videotape it because he had his daughter in it, who was a teenager. That's the only reason Mike was there, was to videotape Aaron. And he stood at the back wall with those big old you know, video cameras, which this wasn't that many years ago, but, but he had an old camera for even that day. And he's videotaping. At the end of the thing, he come, he's walking out of the service. And he was not a Christian. He'd grown up in a Christian family. His brother was in the choir. His daughter was in the choir. But he wasn't a believer. Walking out of the door of the church, Mike said, that was incredible. And I said, yeah, it was good. They did great. And he said, no, no uh-uh. He said, I mean, I grew up in a Christian church. I've heard that stuff all my life. But while I stood back there with the video camera, God got a hold of my heart, and he said just what I quoted you earlier. He said, I want some of that. And, he's, and we started talking for a minute, and he said, I'll, I'm going to talk to you later. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to come on later, and we're going to talk about it. And he said, next Easter, I'm going to be one of the people in the choir. Not only was he one of the people in the choir, he was one of the best singers in the choir. And nobody knew that. So when you're proclaiming through what you do and by how you act and, and you're doing the very best you can in everything you do, just like this, this choir that we've got here, it's great. But when we're doing, when we're proclaiming Christ in everything we do and God gets a hold of it, it might be some innocuous thing like a guy with a video camera who's just trying to take pictures of his daughter. And God intervenes. 
You just never know how God's going to show up. But when we're faithful to proclaim it, because Mike, you know, there were some time after that, Mike's journey was difficult. When I say Satan attacked, it took five years or so, but when he started attacking Mike, oh my goodness, did he attack. Almost any way you name it, Mike was attacked. And I had gone and, and came back 10 or 15 years after Mike and I had that conversation, sitting on one of the front rows at the church, and Mike came up and sat beside me, and I said, Mike, man, I've been gone a while, but I've heard about some of the things in your life, and I want you to know I've been praying for you. And he said, well, I just got this to say. He said, that commitment I made that day when I told you I want some of that, he said, that's the one thing that's seen me through. And I'm not letting go of the Jesus Christ who grabbed a hold of me. And that's, and he said, that's why I'm here today and didn't, quite frankly, take my own life is because of Jesus Christ and what he did. Now, that's the gospel that we've got to share with the world. So the worse shape the world gets in, the more we've got something that can help them. So can a church like ours reach a world like ours? Yes, if we're faithful, oh yes, we can. Because the day will come when it gets really bad, they will honestly be beating down the doors, and it might be to your house or it might be to the church. But when the storms come, they'll be here. If we're the faithful church. And I don't mean faithful to our traditions. In Jerusalem, what happened is, or in Antioch, what happened is, they blew up the tradition of only sharing with Jews. And they started sharing with everybody. So whatever it is that, that we're used to and we're comfortable with, and I've shared with, with, this with y'all many times, you know, my preferences don't have to be bad preferences to sometimes get in the way of what God would desire. All they've got to be is selfish and, and be mine. You know, when I insist on having it my way instead of God's way. I heard somebody praying the other day, and he, he, this was a part of his prayer. He said, Dear God, help us rather than being people who tell you what we want to ask you what it is you want from us. That was powerful because I'm guilty of doing that. I tell God what I want all the time. I've told him today several times what I want. Most of us do. And that doesn't mean it's bad things either. But when we surrender to Jesus Christ and we're like the Antioch church, God did some things that you and I are here because somebody shared the gospel with Gentiles. Because I don't, to my knowledge, I could do the the 23andMe thing or one of the DNA things. But to my knowledge, there's not any you know, Middle Eastern blood in my family. Now, far enough back there is. And that is one thing I, I joked. Asseter said something about me, you know, loving Armenian. He said, one of these days, if you come enough, we'll give you an honorary Armenian name. And I said, Asseter, I'm, I'm Armenian. And he said, in mine, I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. The ark landed on Mount Ararat, and when Noah and his wife came down, they came down into Armenia. I said, that's where the world restarted. So I got Armenian blood just as much as you do if you go far enough back. Now, and that's true. When we surrender to Jesus Christ, 
and let him have his way. And we recognize that he's the Lord and we're not. And we let go of everything just to grasp him and his ways. That's when he can do something. So the question for you and for me today is, are we willing to let go? And are we willing to hold on to Jesus Christ and let him have his way? And then when he does the work internally and then externally, that we'll praise him. Bow with me, please, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, so thankful for what you are and so thankful for what you allow us to do and to be a part of. God, we, we surrender to you. The Jerusalem church has some preconceived ideas and, and you taught them differently through the Antioch believers. And God, we pray that, that with the individuals here today, but, but with Conway Baptist Church, that God, you will use us to ignite a fire that, that just consumes this area and then just like in Antioch, it goes way beyond. But God, we know it starts with surrender to you, so we do that right now. As your spirit speaks and as you draw, Lord, we trust you completely. We surrender to you absolutely. And we offer ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation and commitment this morning is 411. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And as we sing, it's an opportunity for you to come. The altar is open right here for you to, to kneel here and surrender whatever it is you're hanging on to to Jesus Christ. It's a moment to trust him. If you're here this morning and you've been trusting in your own self, even if you've done great things and everybody that knows you thinks the world of you, if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're living in your own strength and not his. And that means that if you've made even one mistake, if you've sinned even one time in your own strength, you're not going to be good enough to reach heaven. But surrender to Jesus Christ, washed by his blood. Jesus Christ offers us a place prepared for us in eternity. By name, he's prepared a place. But it starts with surrender. So I'll be at the front to receive you. The altar is open. You can kneel here. But don't say no to God right now. As we stand to sing hymn 411, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm.